0: Welcome to Intimacy Choreography in Conversation, where Anne James and Carly D. Weckstein talk candidly about the growing world of intimacy choreography and shifting performance art spaces toward a
1: culture of consent. Intimacy choreography is the craft of designing moments of staged intimacy or sexual violence with respect, clarity, and professionalism. Intimacy choreographers respect the boundaries, integrity, and needs of the actors involved so that the best work can happen enthusiastically. This podcast was inspired by
0: our conversation around intimacy direction in the time of COVID-19 as a part of the Director's Lab West Connects that was streamed on HowlRound in May
1: 2020. There were multiple pages of questions remaining after that initial conversation, so we decided that instead of writing out the answers to every question in a pamphlet, we would start a podcast to have engaging discussions on various themes that come up around intimacy choreography. All these questions came from real theater artists like you around the world. We acknowledge the Tongva
0: peoples as the traditional caretakers of the land we currently reside on. And are recording this podcast on, that is the Los Angeles Basin and the South Channel Islands.
1: We seek to honor the land and the courageous people who are its past, present, and future stewards, modeling a tradition of resistance seeking liberation. All
0: righty, then.
1: Shall we begin now? Who are we? Let's introduce each other. All (laughs) righty. Anne James is an international theater educator working towards more inclusion and diversity in the intimacy field. Anne will begin an MFA in performance pedagogy in intimacy direction for people of color at Loyola Marymount University in fall 2020. She believes in a healthy discourse on the growing field of intimacy and encourages qualification over certification.
0: Carly D. Weckstein is a theater director sex educator, and intimacy director, creating at the intersections of community, healing, sexuality, and art as activation. She is a passionate advocate for artists and actors, championing communication, consent, and mental health as essential to the creative
1: process. Thanks, Anne. So what are we going to get into today? What are we going to talk about? Mm. I think today we're going to talk
0: about consent and intimacy in the age of online slash Zoom theater.
1: Yes, very, very topical and relevant because that's all of the theater that's currently yeah. being made. Basically where we are right now. <laughs> yeah. And we had a lot of questions um, from our last discussion that that came up about how do intimacy practices translate to online theater spaces, to the Zoom room from the rehearsal room. I have a
0: question for you. What does consent culture look like online? We're gonna Zoom, we're gonna Zoom, 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 Zoom. 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 Yeah. Uh, Is there such a thing or does consent culture only exist when we're in the space physically together? What say you, Carly?
1: I say yay yes it always exists um and it definitely exists online and right now of course during our our shelter in place pandemic times when we are socially distant and not physically together in spaces there's a lot of art and actors performing in online theater zoom theater uh is it theater? Is it film? It's not really either. It's its own thing, which is a <laughs> whole other discussion. Oh, yeah. But, People are arguing. They're arguing on what it is yeah, right it's, now. It's, it's its own thing. It's its own weird medium. Um, but it's still consent culture applies to it, even if we don't have a name for it. Um, I, I think that consent and boundaries still can exist around material that's performed, nudity or undressing, Uh, what word somebody is comfortable saying or being called, simulated sex or sexual violence. And the only thing that's different is there's no physical touching to negotiate. But the rest of those factors are still in play. And I think it's very important because once something is online, we have much less control over who can see it and access it. So we want to make sure that an actor performing something consents to performing it. In that context,
0: correct, and that you bring up a very, very good point. It is um, basically open source. I mean, you may not, you may not have paid for that ticket to see that show, but your friends sent you the link, or you somebody recorded it on their phone, and instead of it being a, a consensual recording, someone just records it and then sends it. So we have to be extremely careful about what happens in non-live spaces, even though they're live. And that's a question, is it live? It is live, but is it in person? It is not. Um, I recently wrote a play called Blackberry Wine where to, I did it specifically for a Zoom audience. Uh, I wrote it for a Zoom audience, it was a short play. And uh, it centers around this couple one is at home and one is on the front lines uh, in a hospital on uh, on the COVID nineteen front. Mm. And it's on a break, and they have this little moment of you know cyber sex or uh, sexting uh, during during this moment. And you know the way we shot it, and the actors were so uh, gung ho and and ready to perform at the top of their ability, but it was such a different form of intimacy especially since the actors had never met in real life. And this, wow. was, this rehearsal was the rehearsal where one of them was going to be masturbating and the other one was going to be, you know, enjoying that. Right. Uh, and both of them actually were masturbating in the scene. So one was just in what I would imagine a, a storeroom or stock room in the hospital and one in their bed at home, um, which is happening all over this country right now. And uh so I thought it was really important to bring them together and uh kind of talk about what was gonna be shown on screen because again, they are in, you know, they are in their own environments too. When we're doing these Zoom performances, oftentimes people are in their own rooms, in their own bedrooms, in their own living rooms, in their own domiciles. So there's a certain amount of intimacy of entering into someone's private space.
1: Oh my God. Yes.
0: So it's not a stage. It's not a theater. It's not, it's actually that person's living room where they have their laptop set up. So that in itself of breaking into that space and breaking that fourth wall down and moving into people's living spaces, I think is a very interesting concept to think about when we're thinking about consent and boundaries online. Uh, But yeah, you know, the sexual intimacy and the option and opportunity to record that, uh, you know, we just have to be very, very careful if we're moving into intimacy online that we are protecting the professionals that we
1: ask to participate. They know what the context is, who has access to seeing it, and and also, as we said before, that somebody—it's possible that somebody who saw it could record it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's—it's true of on stage to an extent as well, but it's—it's it's different. I think that can be enforced more when everyone's in a physical space together. Yeah. So consent culture—the votes are in. It definitely exists online. Um, some folks submitted the question. How does the issue of consent change with our new video theater culture where we're actually zooming into each other's homes and bedrooms and other personal spaces? I think it's important just to note and acknowledge that folks can have a different set of boundaries um, and they might have a different set of boundaries of the material that they feel comfortable performing, the characters, the stories they feel comfortable telling or feel safe telling. Um, When the performance in the energy of that performance is happening in their private space. So I think it's important to just put out there. Hey, actors, performers, you're allowed to have different boundaries, you don't have to justify why your boundary is different around something. Um, And I think that's just an important thing to note around boundaries in general, um, that we don't need, nobody needs to demand an explanation for someone's boundary to be respected. And the yeah, oh go ahead. Sorry, I'm just saying. And the the consent is is still reversible. Um, and we actors might run into boundaries and realize that they have them as we talked about last time. Um, while they're performing in their own spaces, and then maybe realize, ooh, this story is not comfortable to explore in my own personal bedroom.
0: Yeah, and also you know, there's this concept of people using backgrounds. Uh, you know, I would. I would venture to say and I would um advise that if you're directing a piece uh specifically an intimate piece and uh the person has a background up um it's a technical device that kind of hides where the person's interior is and it you know you can post a picture there a photograph of some other environment or just a blank screen behind the person there are many reasons why a person would need to or want to put up a background for their Zoom call or their Zoom rehearsal or their Zoom performance. So uh, I venture to say that directors should tread lightly there and try not to ask too many questions if that person shows up with a background because they may be hiding an environment or they may be just wanting more
1: privacy or wanting to not let people into their private space. Yeah, absolutely. And because once any content's on the internet, we have considerably less control over it. So they might, as you said, want to like shield or, or create some kind of boundary or barrier into folks from the outside, seeing their private space, being able to identify more information about them and where they are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Also, audio is another thing too. Um, I think we just have to be very careful not to demand that people keep their audio on and that if they need to mute for whatever reason, you know, there are young mothers at home that have babies that are crying and they don't want that to necessarily interrupt the rehearsal process or for whatever reason someone turns off their audio. Um, I just say hold space for that and just be sure uh, to be careful and conscientious about asking that person to turn their audio back on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We I think we all just need to operate with kind of an extra level of flexibility and grace and understanding and that putting it out there that people everyone needs to take care of themselves to keep themselves safe and however that looks like yeah be kind yeah remember to be kind goes a long way yep um okay question
0: Ding dong. as we continue to create work remotely what can we do to create safe space for others in virtual art performance making? How are you adapting the rehearsal room rules to the Zoom room? Zoom room. The Zoom room. Yeah. How are we how are we making our spaces into rehearsal spaces?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And how are we prioritizing the safety and like group and individual safety when we're actually in physically separate spaces? Mm. Um I think check-ins at the top. I'm just a really big fan of of check-ins. There's a lot going on right now that feels very heavy and charged and multi-layered and we can't assume where folks are at. Um, And especially if you are also dealing with material in the story that you're telling that feels charged or heavy. I think it's really it can be a really great tool to just take a few minutes at the beginning and be like, hey, let's have a check-in. How's everyone doing today? It could even be like, just scale one to ten, where are you coming from on your work today so that we can have extra kindness and grace and hold space for that? That's beautiful
0: yeah I, I like to do uh you know just a check in just like you were saying with the name uh maybe a land acknowledgement if it's the first rehearsal um also a little uh, a little brief conversation discussion about what is sparking joy mm. in that person's life at that moment and then obviously we want to know your pronouns so that's kind of um, a little nutshell of what I like to do especially at the beginning of rehearsals when we're still getting to know each other um, I know that I'm the worst at names and thank goodness Zoom has a place for you to put your name and pronoun <laughs> Uh, because i would be lost uh most of the time and i think you know let's talk a little bit about this land acknowledgment because we have one um i yes. think it's very important that we respect the land that we uh occupy and that we that we give a moment of space holding for the indigenous people whose land we're on I mean, they own the land. We're just borrowing it. So um, I think that's really, really important to do as well, especially toward the beginning. And it also teaches your cast to, to, Hey, know your land acknowledgement know where you are and um, be, be loud and proud about honoring it.
1: Yeah. Know who's, whose land you're on and a really great tool for that. If you're not sure. Um, there's an app and there's also a website uh, I believe called Native Land. You can download the app on your phone and you can look up wherever you are, whose land is this? Who are the indigenous people whose land this is? Um, so that's a great a great tool to have a jumping point to to know whose space that you are living and creating on.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that safe space quote unquote. How are we yeah. making it?
1: How are we? How can we make it safer for folks? Well, two thoughts I have. One is about um, introducing pronouns with names, as you mentioned, just in case that's new, a new practice for any folks listening. Um, I always like to do that at, at the first rehearsal as well to kind of establish a safe space. And what I say is um, I ask everyone to introduce their pronouns with their names because we don't want to assume how anybody identifies just by looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, And that we want to just normalize that people get to claim, this is how you can respectfully refer to me as we work together. Um, And just holding that space and normalizing it and making sure everyone does that, I think creates um, a lot of safety and can also call into folks who have the privilege, um, mostly cis folks who don't get misgendered regularly just to know that, oh, this is something small but powerful that I can actively do to make spaces safer for trans artists.
0: You know, I learned something I'm going to share. It's just a little tiny tidbit. It's about nuance in this area of pronouns. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, as they are learning to include uh, pronouns into their vernacular and asking for people's pronouns, we want to make sure that we're not asking Uh, people what pronouns they prefer. Yes. So if you ask a person what their pronouns are, you simply say, what are your pronouns? As opposed to saying, what pronouns do you prefer? Because the prefer indicates that they're not what their pronouns are. Uh, So I just wanted to say, you know, just as a little vernacular cleanup while we're here on pronouns, make sure if you're asking for pronouns that you ask, Pronouns, not for preferable pronouns.
1: Absolutely, because that implies that there are more options besides what they give you, um, and so it's just nope. Take off that that descriptor preferred. I, I love that, and thank you for for bringing up that point. Um, and I think it can also be helpful when you're leading a space to model, because there might be some folks who are like, "What are my pronouns? I've never had been asked this before, and I don't know how to say." how to, how to claim them. And that can often leave room for folks, which actors can sometimes be guilty of to make it like a funny, try to make it a funny or cute moment instead of being respectful about it. Um, so I think it can just be really helpful to say, Oh, uh, and here, here's an example of how you share your pronouns. Like, uh, my name is Carly and I use she, her pronouns. Yeah. And it can be just as simple as that. Yeah. That's a great way to create safe space. What else can we do to to create safe spaces while we're making art and performing online? You
0: know, there are these the the Kilroy Awards just came out, and I don't uh, just for everybody's point of reference, the Kilroy Awards go to playwrights who identify in the LGBTQIA++ community women. And people of color, B uh, I P O C. So uh, it's this great feeding ground for new artists who are coming out of the gate with hot plays that are mindful and are energetic and forward thinking. And, you know, what they're doing is creating space for new work. They're creating opportunities for us to dive into that work as directors and intimacy directors. And I think that we have to, since they're alive, try to contact them if we get a copy of one of their plays that we want to produce so that they can be a part of the process of bringing their very new play into its maturity. You know, some of these plays that that were written... And that got the Kilroy Awards this year, they've been in development and in pre-production for two and three years. So it's a very long process before yeah. we see a play on a stage. And we just need to give honor to them by creating a moment for them to come in and uh tweak their play or meet our actors or, you know, give a moment of guidance to to the actors from from their mouths, since we still have them living and
1: with us today. Yeah, absolutely. the The Kilroys is an incredible list, a really great resource. You can look it up online. Um, how many? I'm not sure how many years it's been around. Uh, four, maybe, I'm maybe not five. Sure. I can't. Um, but it's relatively new. But it's such a great tool for producers and directors who want to help. And the systemic underrepresentation of playwrights who are women and trans folks and non-binary folks. Because so many plays that are produced, most plays that are produced are written by, by cis men. So that's a, just a great, a great tool for um, leaders in theater yeah. communities to Get have. Get into it. Get into it. Such good stuff there. And Anne, and I, love, I love that you said bring, bring the playwrights in. Uh, To your process, if you're doing their work, especially if you're uh, adapting their work online, obviously you need their consent. And I know some writers, some that I have worked on in these pandemic isolation times have said, okay, well, I want to change some things about my script if we're going to do it in this different format. Um, and it's an incredible gift to be able to to work in real time with that. Yeah, and especially if there's a scene of intimacy,
0: uh, if yes. a scene of intimacy or a scene of sexual violence in their play, we certainly want to see how they envision it. And if they're alive and you can call them, uh, you can certainly talk <laughs> to them and ask them about, "Hey, what did you see for this point and what do you want it to look like, and what do you want it to look like over Zoom? What can I do to help facilitate your vision and the thing that, you know, the, the idea that you wrote down? Um, I think that's a really powerful thing for playwrights. I think it's a really powerful thing for actors to have access to the vision because as directors, you know, yes, we have our vision. We create uh, a scene that we read from the page and we bring it to the stage. But again, a lot of the work that we've done in the past is from dead white guys. So now we have living (laughs) playwrights that we can actually ask. And I'm sure that the the interchange and the the communication will be uh, much appreciated. So, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Get out there and ask that playwright questions.
1: Yeah, start start a dialogue. I, I especially love how this ties into intimate moments or moments of sexual violence. In this can be a great opportunity to have a discussion with the writer. How how does this moment serve the story? Like, what do they what do they need? to happen in this moment, especially as we have to adapt intimacy onto Zoom theater um, and to make sure that we capture the spirit of what they are trying to do and say in that moment of their story. Um, And that's a really great chance to translate that, that to actors, especially when it might be a more charged moment, as a lot of sexual moments or intimate moments or moments of sexual violence tend to be. Um, which brings me to another thought about yeah. the importance of <laughs> safe, safe spaces as we're telling stories in this Zoom Zoom room mm-hmm. online theater, um, which is something that I really believe as a director and intimacy director, both the, when, in the IRL in person times rehearsals mm-hmm. and also back in the, the you know, back in the day and in the future again. I and believe. in the future, of course. Um, but it, it is this idea that if you guide someone, whether you're director, an intimacy director, et cetera, choreographer, into a charged place because they're telling a very charged moment of a story, then it's also your job to guide them back out at the end of the work. You, you got to bookend that. You can't just like take actors into an intense and heavy place and then they have to do, do their work and then say, okay, bye. Um, no, that's not cool. No, it's not cool, and I think it can be especially important to do. I mean, it's always incredibly important to do, but there's there's a another level that goes on to it when, as we were talking before about actors are performing this material in their own homes mm. in their own bedrooms, mm. so I think it becomes just extra important and to name at the beginning hey we're gonna I'm gonna guide you into this space, and then we're gonna take a few minutes at the end, and I'm gonna guide you to release that so you don't have to live with that energy in your home, in your personal space. Because I think it's so essential for actors to be able to separate their work from their private life. Of course, our own experiences and emotions and even bodies as vessels, like inevitably actors, that, that feeds the work that we do and the stories we tell. But I believe part of maintaining actors sustainability through their career is to take care of their mental health and a big piece of that is to release the story from their bodies after after they tell it
0: yeah we we're, we're going to talk way down deep into that there's even a name oh, yeah. for that um in a moment but guess what i have a what? question question ding ling. <laughs> Um, what can intimacy actually look like in practice online slash on Zoom? What can it look like?
1: Let's talk about visuals. Great, great question. Very practical and exciting question. Um, because yeah, what does intimacy look like when nobody is physically touching another body? Well, one, I think, you know, actors can touch their own bodies and explore with their own Flesh and space. Um, I think, kind of, the maybe the the fundamental basics is like, how do we show a kiss online in Zoom theater when everyone is like separated talking heads? So many ways. So many. Um, So many ways. it depends, I think, on what flavor you're you're going for. Like, you know, maybe you, there's it has a very comedic feel, and both actors like lean into the camera with their mouths, right? Like, that That's could be really way. cute and funny, yeah, cheeky. Um, there can be also like kind of less literal ways, like actors in their own quote unquote boxes reacting with their their breath and their muscle tension in unison separately can. Can also be a kiss
0: yes you can also black you can also turn off the cameras at the same time and then mm. turn them back on with the reaction of the kiss
1: because don't people close their eyes normally when they're kissing yes I love that and then it's like the audience is like inside the kiss <laughs> <laughs> I've done that very before intimate.
0: with very successful very successful um mm. but I think too you know you also can move away from just a body in a you know, the torso in a box yeah. kind of look. Um, I've done things with only, you know, having the actors stand uh, and like they're arriving on a scene and only shooting their torso um for for moments and I have them unpack a bag or you know so you're not seeing the head you're not seeing the feet and that's really an interesting mm. uh uh visual because normally we don't look at people's torsos we look at their eyeballs um so it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of interesting uh visually to see that um yeah. I think also using our sense our other senses um uh, this is kind of kind of weird and and off the beaten path a little bit but you know if someone is is drinking a glass of iced tea maybe you prep your audience beforehand and have them zest uh, some some skin of a lemon and put that in a little container so when the person's drinking the tea they smell the lemon zest so they have this fresh aroma Ooh. of lemon you know, while the person is
1: having a, a nice frosty beverage. That's um, so beautiful and sensual way to invite the audience to to experience this viscerally.
0: Thanks. Thanks.
1: I've been at this a while,
0: you know, <laughs> not the Zoom thing, but se- definitely the using the five senses uh, and, and creating that way for the audience to lean into a performance that is in a box. Any way that you can do that safely is, is great. I um, I don't know. There, I have other examples, but Carly, you want to, you want to say anything about
1: things that you've used in the past? Sure. Um, I, I love what you said about focusing on different parts of the body than mm-hmm. might be the quote unquote obvious. Like if you were showing kind of a moment of pleasure or climax, like it could even just be like the toes and the feet curling. Of the actor, like we know what that means. There is like this kind of visceral reaction to it, it, and I just I love the the creativity that this allows for. Again, as as we've said before, I think last time the medium of of theater of leaning into the magic and and even film the non literalness and that we don't always need to show the most graphic naturalistic or obvious thing, and sometimes especially when it comes to sexuality, uh. The graphicness or literalness can even take us out of it. Oh, is yeah. it an audience. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I don't necessarily need to see the, f- the face or the pelvis area of somebody, of a character, as they are climaxing. I can just see their toes curling. I and the story is that. told to me.
0: Grabbing a sheet, like a hand grabbing the sheets. Yes. You know? It's just such a you know the sound of a vibrator going on. Uh I mean, we know what's up, right? Yes, without it having to be shot in this little box and be so literal. You know, I mean, I feel like the the art of of working in Zoom, which we're going to absolutely have to uh, develop and work with um, over the next who knows how long. Um, I think I think the that intimacy over uh, the computers is going to be a very interesting uh journey and that we have to be creative and we have to be innovative um in order to pull our audiences in as as much as they would be pulled into a play or pulled into uh something live
1: absolutely and and then in tandem with that we also have to be creative innovative and flexible in keeping our actors safe right. in respecting their boundaries as we tell those stories, as we find ways to both pull the audience in and not make the actors feel like they're being exploited or asked to do something that feels unsafe for them.
0: Right. Especially since it's in their own home. Usually we want to separate the character from the actor as much as possible. I did have one other thing. I don't know. I'm just, this is kind of yeah. a throwaway, but uh, something Throw in. <laughs> throwing it in the bucket. Um <laughs> some people direct their actors to look as they're speaking to their co-actor at the camera or and then some people actually have the actor look at the other actor on the screen which takes you out of the out of the focus of the audience so it's mm. th- it's this difference of film versus theater like am I watching these two characters or are, am I looking at them and they're looking at me um do I feel like I'm the person as an audience member do I feel like I'm the person that the actor is speaking to it's kind of a weird slippery slope and I I I encourage people to kind of play with that and find the nuance in that because one of them is very very personal and seemingly invasive and the other is more presentational and oh I'm watching these two characters interact so um, you know, as an intimacy director, eye contact is always one of the benchmarks of connecting, yeah. and so I just encourage directors to not forget about that eye contact.
1: I I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Eye contact is is so intimate, and it, and I think it really is a tool that even through these screens and these boxes, a way for us to connect and to really pull the audience in. Absolutely, um, and that's a fun thing to to play with. In addition to playing with distance from the camera which uh you know is another way to invite them in physically closer while not being in the same physical space yeah yeah um would you like another question Question <laughs> <laughs> okay um, go for it okay so we actually got multiple questions on this same very specific subject So um, I'm kind of putting a couple together. Um, uh, A lot of folks would love advice on how to engage intimacy direction in Zoom, specifically around material about sexual violence in Zoom and feeling the need to really establish a safe space and how to engage with that in a way that is really taking care of the actors while telling those extra charge stories in a virtual space.
0: Yeah, this is where we have to really take extra special care because we are in separate spaces and we don't have the ability as facilitators of the intimacy direction to be in the same physical space with the actor. And a lot of the nonverbal cues that we're trying to pick up on uh, as as being people aware of uh, mental health and trauma in the room, we don't we're not necessarily picking those vibes up because we're not in the same space. And also, once the rehearsal ends, it's the clicking off of a button it's not oh let's go grab a coffee and talk about that or oh do you want me to walk you home or oh can i you want to share a a car you know to get to where we're going to next so there's there's a this distinct cut off after all of this you know simulated trauma has happened so what do you suggest what do you think we should do first
1: yeah i think you're you're exactly right uh about your your observations of how it just is inevitably different than being in the same space. Mm. I think that starting with just acknowledging the charge of the material and what, what we're working on and that it's okay to have reactions to it um, and just reminding folks that they can call a timeout um, or as we talked the last time about the button, they can call button. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to TIE for that amazing T-I-E. terminology. Yes, the and, ethical Intimacy Education. And and a button is essentially a safe word for rehearsal where actors can verbally kind of push a button to call pause um, for whatever reason. And so I think just I think it's important to acknowledge the material to remind actors you can you can push your button anytime that you need. Um, your boundaries are allowed to change, and you're allowed to ask for what you need and voice that as it comes up. And and to name that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to bookend this at the end. We're not going to just take you into this space and then hang up the Zoom call and that's it. Um, I I think if you are asking actors to go to this space through in virtual theater, then I think because we can't take them for a coffee or walk them home, I think it it makes a difference for you if you're a leader of that space and you're directing the story. To say, hey, I want to make myself available. If something is coming up for you later, you can reach out to me. And I would like to provide a little extra landing space. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you think?
0: Well, I think, you know, uh, well before that scene comes up, or even if it is just a scene of sexual violence that you're going to be working through, I think that you have to, at the beginning of rehearsals, Talk about this process that T.I.E. mentions and and teaches so well, uh, de-rolling. So, you know, after this this rehearsal happens, it is a way to get back into the actor body as opposed to the character body. It's kind of like Mm. saying goodbye to that character for the night is the way I like to explain it. Um, Putting it back on the shelf putting it back in in a pocket uh, so that you can retrieve that character next time. Uh, it's also kind of like a recalibration of self. Some people do something physical like drink a glass of water. Other people have like a physical um, hand movement or tap dance combination or whatever it <laughs> is to, to get that physical change uh started and initiated to move back into actor body and leave the character's experiences, words, and um,
1: actions uh, separate from self. Absolutely. I think that is kind of the key, most maybe most essential piece of this is the de-rolling or um, it's almost akin to aftercare, which Mm. is a term from the BDSM and kink communities Mm -hmm. um, that after engaging in especially a more charged or intense sexual scene that time is prioritized after to, for everyone to come back kind of to their usual equilibrium and to release that. And I think that that derolling is really essential. Um, I really believe in holistic derolling where I think there's gotta be, I, I believe in an intellectual component, like a, some kind of affirmation, um, plus something physical, as you mentioned. Because I think sometimes our minds are faster than our bodies to catch yeah. up with certain things and we might know intellectually what happened to this character is not happening to me now but it makes a difference when we do something physical with our bodies whether it's stretching dancing physically shaking the character out of us or brushing mm. them off of us yeah um to engage as we have an affirmation that is Okay, now I'm me. I'm releasing this character. I'm so grateful for my body for being this vessel to tell the story, and I don't need to carry this character in my body. And I think that's so different from what um I was trained as as an actor at the beginning of my career, from from what actors are taught, and so different from acting culture where it's like you have to hold your character's pain and trauma through this like whole experience to really do justice to their story. Yeah, come on, and that I was think that's bullshit. bullshit exactly it's that's that's not a sustainable way to have a career that doesn't prioritize actors mental health in the same way that we tell actors to take care of their physical health yeah and so i think just we really have to normalize invite this character into your vessel and then as part of honoring that release it create some ritual around releasing the character so that it doesn't Live in your body and drain from your personal life and your personal health.
0: I love that. You know, I, you know, I'm a witch. I'm witchy as fuck. And so oh, me too. I have <laughs> like, uh, I have a sage, I have a sage. um, uh, stick by me i have incense i have i have candles i have all these things that help me i have crystals that i hold to take the energy and and hold the energy i i do all of those things uh when i am working with the cast and i and i that may not be your jam or that may not be your your mood but um what i can say is that they are Physical manifestations of closure. Yes. When you blow out a candle, that candle is out. So you know whatever goes with that candle is is gone, is physically gone, mentally gone, emotionally gone. You can let it go with the smoke
1: of that candle. So I'm I'm way all about that. Yes, I love I love the ritual aspect of theater in general and of of this derolling process. Mm. Um. I I think there's lots of ways to engage the physical senses. Like sometimes maybe you have a certain essential oil that you put on after you play a character, like a peppermint that that makes you feel really like present and energized or a lavender that's calming that brings you back to, I am here in this present moment. Um, I love that. I'm also a big fan of like music. Maybe I, I often advise actors have one song that you always like, kind of activates you to get into the character and invite them in, in a different song that brings you back to yourself.
0: Fun the fact. End of the a fun fact. Yes. It takes 13 minutes of a song to change you from sad to not sad. It takes nine Whoa. minutes. It takes nine minutes of, song, of a song to change you or for music to change you from being absolutely neutral to happy. So, it takes less time to get you happy than it does to take you from sad to, norm- to, to neutral.
1: So, That's fascinating.
0: I know. It's really fascinating. Um, but those are some, th- I love the idea of music and, you know, and, and being able to listen to something that really brings you up and out of that situation. And by the way, directors out there that are listening and intimacy directors, choreographers that are out there listening, we mean that for you too um after a scene that's hard that is difficult with difficult material or challenging material charged material you have to have closure as well so don't forget yourself
1: yeah i my part of my personal practice is um music from the uh spider-man into the spider-verse soundtrack which is incredible um yeah yeah long story but that movie helped me like leave my day job and pursue this more Um, full-time because we're all Spider-Man. We are Um, all Spider-Man. We are all Spider-Man. But I use a specific song, like two songs to warm up and two songs to warm out from that soundtrack when I do intimacy work, because I need, I need that as well. If I'm going to hold space for other folks, I need to make sure to take care of myself. And sometimes, honestly, that's the hardest part of, of the work. It so is. So what, one more thing around, Uh, de-rolling or creating um, some kind of closure at the end of um, heavy material. Something that I like um, and use as a director and also as a facilitator is I invite anyone who wants to, to name aloud for the group to witness one thing specifically that they want to release after this work because it won't serve them, and one thing that they would like to actively take with them. Um, And I find it's really powerful for everybody to go around and say that and to witness each other because it's one thing to think that in your head and there's something else when you say it out loud and you even, and this can be done on Zoom and I've done this on Zoom um, to kind of create, uh, that's kind of the mental affirmation part about like, I am consciously deciding that I'm going to release this and that's being witnessed and I'm consciously deciding this is what will serve me, and I do want to take um, forward from that. That's
0: great. That's beautiful.
1: Shall we on to our last question? This is our last question. Question. <laughs> you? You? <laughs> <are> you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, cat. Sorry, cat. Okay. I am. S- this is the question. This is not me. Okay. This is the question. Okay. Okay. I am so curious about how intimacy choreography training has changed as the training has been taken online versus in person. While I'm positive moving training to a virtual platform has its disadvantages. I'm curious if any surprise advantages have come up as a result of taking the training online. So training, we're talking about training. It's a training question. I, you know, I've taken training uh, with IDC, and which was IDI, and then also TIE, um, in the room, so to speak. So I was in a room with other people taking the courses and doing the work and exploring the, the theory. Uh, and it was eg- electric and uh, very... Um active and uh there was a lot of physical contact. And um those things are what we look for as we I mean, people who are movement-based. I don't know, some of you out there may be trained in LeBan or Alexander Technique, Feldenkrais uh viewpoints. Those are all very movement-based uh foundations. Also, there are a lot of fight choreographers out there, movement-based. Um and that is wonderful, one of the advantages I find that that I am uh getting a lot of joy out of and a lot of support uh from is the fact that I am on a theoretical journey now uh, I am not using my physical form to create intimacy and intimacy design, but i'm using my brain to create ideas to move. The industry forward. And I think we all have that ability to move the industry forward as thinkers and as uh, theorists and as people who are investigating and exploring this work. Again, it's very new work. And, uh, you know, it is helping me design curriculum. It is helping me craft, uh, different ways to communicate with people of different abilities, uh, coming from different walks of life. So I'm kind of happy that we have this opportunity to go so deep down into the theory of what intimacy direction, intimacy choreography is. And I feel that if we weren't in this pandemic, that things would have just gone on the way they were going and i don't know that that necessarily would have developed the way we see developments happening now all over the industry so you know my my short little answer here is that i feel that the, a surprise advantage of being online and and doing this work through zoom uh, has given me an opportunity to dive really deep, like go deep sea diving into the theory <laughs> of what intimacy direction actually is and
1: what it can do. I love that, Anne. That's, that's awesome. Um, Thanks. Oh, yes. Yeah, surprise advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest one that comes to mind for me is accessibility. Nice. That <laughs> just in moving everything online there is a bit of an evening of the playing field in terms of accessibility, whether that's around money or scheduling or location. All of those are a little bit less of a limitation. Um, I know not obviously not everybody has access um, to online classes, um, but I think that before there was a level of scarcity in this industry and in the entertainment industry at large and in Let's the whole world that it. we live in. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I think that only certain people were able to go to trainings when their job, schedule and finances could allow them to afford to fly out to a few specific locations and pay a lot of money to engage in an in-person training. Um And I think that now that we are all being pushed to do this online, I think that there are more opportunities for folks to get these really important tools and concepts um, and to have more folks in the room, in the Zoom room, quote unquote, who maybe wouldn't have been able to be in the physical rooms. And I think that's a really good thing and a really important thing for the field of intimacy direction. Thank you for saying that. That's exactly
0: right. You know, we as facilitators, what is in our, you know, our ability to give access to the material? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we want actors to be safe. We want all actors to feel safer in rehearsal spaces. So holding the information doesn't make any sense. Yes, people are going to make mistakes. But if they have guidance, if they have training, if they have continual guidance, it's not like we cut the string and go, okay, you're an intimacy trainer, never call me again. You know, right. we have to create those lines and those webs. Thank you, Spider Man, <laughs> of connection so that intimacy coordinators and intimacy directors, intimacy coordinators, Choreographers, intimacy specialists, intimacy element of peace can all feel <laughs> like they, they can reach back and get the guidance that they need. None of us is alone, none of us is an island, nobody owns this this industry. Yes, and I, thank I, you. You're welcome. And so yeah. the idea of it is to make actors feel safer. So let's practice what we preach, damn it.
1: Damn it. Yes. Why? What good does it do? How does it help keep people safe if there is gatekeeping around this knowledge? Amen. Um, I, I think it's really important to look at this through a harm reduction lens. And yes, that harm will still inevitably happen because human beings and we make mistakes. But I think when we arm people, even with a kind of baseline of knowledge around this, which we can do for more people when it's more accessible, then less harm will be happening in more rooms. And I think that's the whole point of this movement.
0: It is. Not everyone can afford an intimacy director to come in the room. So why don't we give classes for students to understand what consent and boundaries are and what the choreography is? I mean, TIE is already doing that. They are hell bent for leather, as my mama would say, on trying (laughs) to get this work out to people who don't have access or funds for uh, hiring a person for uh, intimacy director for their for their production. The more, you know, uh, you know, the the slogan or the statement that I love is when you when you know better, you do better. Exactly. So, So we want more people to
1: know better so that and then more people can do better yes yeah all right well all
0: right next time we'll be discussing the future of intimacy and what that could look like wow that could look like so many things it could it (laughs) really could look like a lot of things
1: if you yes you listening right now have any questions about intimacy choreography direction consulting or just the intimacy field in general please send them to our email which is the letters i c i c dot anne and carly at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at the letters i c i c underscore ann and carly where we will be posting info about upcoming episodes and other intimacy-related tidbits. And as
0: usual, we'd also like to pop, pop, pop our sound designer, editor, and otherwise extraordinary person, David Gonzalez. And pop, pop, pop to our wonderful producer, Hazel Lozano. Music by David Gonzalez. The podcast logo is by Zach Brown. Pop, pop.